Welcome to Our Connected World, a podcast series from TE Connectivity featuring straight talk for engineers about today's technology trends and the technical challenges in driving innovations crucial to making the world safer, sustainable, productive, and connected. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Connected World, a podcast from TE Connectivity. I'm your host, Tyler Kern. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the show. Today on the show, we're going to be asking the question, what's on the minds of automotive EV OEMs? And joining me to help answer that question is Steve Merck. He's the president of Transportation Solutions at TE Connectivity. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Tyler. I'm glad to be here. Well, I'm thrilled to have you along with us here today, Steve. So let's start off just with, you know, maybe the most basic question. What is driving automotive OEM innovation in the EV production space right now? You know, it's a it's a really dynamic time. And if you think about kind of the arc of the evolution of the EV space, there were really a number of barriers that stood in the way of EV implementation. And those barriers are really starting to fall down. The first barrier was technology. And could we make batteries that would last long enough? and be cost effective to use in vehicles. And if you go back a decade ago, the cost of a battery was about five times higher than it is today. And so we've seen a meaningful evolution in technology and that battery technology continues to evolve. The second big barrier was, how do we get through that period of time where it's not economically viable to have electric vehicles? And that's where you needed regulation, government intervention, building up of ecosystems and charging infrastructures. and in many parts of the world, we're well down that road. Now, it is uneven geographically, but we are seeing real progress there. And the third barrier was really, will people want to drive these vehicles? And I think the good news is for anybody that's driven the electric vehicle of today, I, I always call it the EV giggle, you know, when people are in the cars and they step on the, the accelerator and they really feel that instant torque and an instant performance. And what we're seeing is this combination of performance, which continues to improve, reliability, which continues to improve. And then the overall driving experience becomes one that's a little less scary for folks that haven't been through it before. And and as people get exposure to EVs, the things like range anxiety and just a lack of understanding of what the technology is start to go away. And so what we're really seeing is rapid acceleration of acceptance of electric vehicles, I think faster than anybody thought. And that's one of the big challenges that the OEMs face because there's these two dimensions. There's capability and capacity that have to be built. And from a capability perspective, we see this very natural evolution. OEMs continue to innovate. They continue to create systems that are more robust, continue to create systems that are able to be charged faster. But building that out to the scale of the automotive industry is a meaningful challenge. And so they have to make sure they have a way of building up enough capacity to keep up with this growth and also building out their supply chains to do that. And so there's both process innovation and product innovation that's necessary just because the rate and pace of change is much faster, I think, than anybody anticipated. That's a great point. That that takes us where we wanted to go, which was talking about some of the challenges and obstacles that exist right now. So what kinds of industry-wide challenges and region-specific obstacles are OEMs most commonly running into when it comes to you know, creating more robust electrification, but also meeting market expectations for achieving engineering maturity and design innovation? What, what sorts of things do you see in that regard, in addition to what you just pointed out? Yeah, there's short-term, there's mid-term, and there's long-term challenges. So for the short-term, I think everybody's dealing with supply chain disruptions, not only in the automotive space, but I think throughout the entire economy of the mm-hmm. world today, we're seeing disruptions. And so at a time we're seeing a rapid adoption of EVs, 
the OEMs are really struggling with how do I secure my supply chain? How do I get the parts to build the vehicles I've already designed and I've got customers who are signed up and waiting for those vehicles? And we'll work our way through that, you know, just like the like the rest of the world will. In the medium term, there's there's two bigger obstacles. One is how do you make sure those supply chains are robust long term and how do you continue to drive that innovation? And then the long term, you kind of got to some of what are the region specific obstacles that we face? And and what you see is that there are different ecosystems within which electric vehicles will function, but they essentially do the same thing. They get people safely from point A to point B and hopefully do it in a sustainable way. And so if you, you think about those challenges, we have to have charging standards across the world. We have to have charging infrastructure. And then the energy that feeds electric vehicles needs to be clean energy for this whole sustainable model to work. And, and so what we see is a, a meaningful challenge in making sure that the ecosystems within which the vehicles perform continue to evolve. And there's a great deal of pressure that you see on that from a regulatory perspective, from a geopolitical perspective, and just from the people of the world wanting to be in a more sustainable space. They're really pressuring that. All of that's really good for EVs in the long run, but it also puts pressure to accelerate that implementation. And we see different challenges in different parts of the world. In most cases, the supply chains are able to react within a year or so. But when you look at some of the raw material challenges that we're, we're going to face, ramping up things like lithium and nickel and the, you know, some of the battery raw materials, those don't get ramped up in six to 12 months. So mm -hmm. we'll likely be facing a challenge where demand outstrips supply for a period of time. But those investments are being made. And I think the OEMs are really starting to pay attention to how do I manage this supply chain from beginning to end? and make sure that it's secure. And then the other piece of it, which I think is really important, and I think is one of the biggest drivers of innovation is not only is it secure, but it's sustainable. And it's sustainable along the dimension of it's able to deal with geopolitical uncertainty, it's able to deal with economic uncertainty, it's able to deal with volatility that we might have from natural disasters, but also it's sustainable in the fact that we are creating a less carbon intensive transportation network and not just carbon, but so many other harmful emissions that come from the traditional internal combustion engine. Balancing those things out, that speed and that capability is the big trade-off. And there's limited amounts of capital that have to be deployed. So the OEMs need to find the right partners to help them with that. And they have to make sure that they're making the trade-off decisions to move at the right pace. Right. Absolutely. And again, talking about partnerships. So what, what market forces do you believe are influencing investments and partnerships in addressing some of these obstacles? And so it, it kind of speaks again to what you just spoke about. But I, I'm curious about those investments and partnerships. You know, it's, it's really interesting. So there's obviously going to be investments in technology. And so along with the electrification of the powertrain, you're seeing at the same time the advent of levels of autonomy within the vehicle. It's a really interesting combination because if you fast forward a few decades and you have fully autonomous vehicles that are fully electrified, it's a very different model for how mm. transportation will work. And so the OEMs themselves are stepping back and saying, we have to evaluate what our business model is. And if you rewind the clock a decade ago, and I don't mean to oversimplify, but a car company was a car company was a car company. They all right. had the same business model. We make cars that appeal to people that are safe and economically viable and we sell them. That's very different. If you talk to OEMs today, many of them view themselves as transportation companies. Many of them view themselves as service providers. Many of them view themselves as traditional auto manufacturers. And they all have a different mentality as to how they want to manage that business model. How vertically integrated do they want to be 
and where do they want to vertically integrate in order to achieve that vision that they have for their company. The good news is I think that there is a convergence, which is advancing battery technology is critical regardless of what your business model is. Ensuring that the infrastructure of the vehicle, the electrical infrastructure of the vehicle is robust, reliable, cost efficient, and able to handle what is every single year becoming increasingly more challenging specifications is critical regardless of what your business model is. And that's that's kind of one of the great things is that we try and make sure that we provide a set of solutions that allow people to choose how they partner in a way that's aligned with what their business is. And those partnerships are evolving in the raw material space, they're evolving in the battery space, they're evolving in the connectivity space, and they're evolving in the software and services space over time. And that's really challenging the OEMs. They're moving much faster. They're being much more creative in the way they approach it. And the competitive dynamics of the industry have been disrupted. Non-traditional players have come in. And one of the really interesting things and things that I think are great for society as a whole is that that disruption has enabled a new set of players to bring real value, but it's also allowed some of the traditional players to really challenge the way they did business and it's accelerating their pace of innovation. So across the board, the entire industry is more innovative. And I think it has a greater sense of urgency around addressing these things. Hmm. Absolutely. You know, and you spoke earlier just about the the vehicle performance. And I want to come back to that a little bit just to ask, you know, what can we expect to see from auto OEMs as regulations and and market demand really call for new performance standards and uh, expanded vehicle performance? So kind of getting back to that performance aspect that, that you talked about earlier, just that people are surprised a little bit when they first kind of become comfortable and get to experience the EV. But but how do you see that uh, expanding as the market kind of calls for new performance and performance standards and vehicle performance? Well, you know, what's interesting is if you if you think about the the beginning stages of the electric vehicle market, in many cases, those were either extremely cost efficient vehicles that were there to kind of help people with, I'll say, urban transportation, not a lot of performance, not a lot of range, but proof of concept around EVs, or they were really interesting performance vehicles like a Tesla Model S or a Porsche Taycan, where you're kind of on the envelope of performance. But what we're seeing now is EVs going mainstream. And so what you see is it's really important to have expanded range. So for most folks, they may be more interested in getting an extra 80 miles on a battery charge than an extra tenth of a second off of their zero to 60 time. Hmm. doesn't mean that that tenth of a second off of the zero to 60 time isn't a lot of fun, but an awful lot of folks are really thinking about, okay, how do I get the kind of range that I want to get out of these vehicles? And now we're seeing the move as we you start to see SUVs and pickup trucks start to, to be vehicles that are happening. You start to see, okay, what kind of uses can these vehicles have? What's the rating for towing? How much torque do the vehicles have? Can I use this truck to power my construction site for a short period of time? You know, can I run tools off of it? How, how do I have electricity flowing in both directions? You know, so that I can use this as an on-site battery. And so I think we're at the beginning stages of people imagining the use cases for, for these vehicles. You know, if you think about the needs of an Amazon delivery van, it's got a very, it's on in a fleet. It's got a very fixed range for delivery that's predictable on a daily basis. You can, you know, within a relatively narrow range, define what the usage of that vehicle is going to be. And then you compare that to an electric SUV that a family might use for, you know, just the daily go to work, drop the kids off at school, and occasionally take that long trip for a vacation or that long trip to visit a relative. Those are very different usage cases. But in every case, what you have to have is a level of reliability, 
a level of performance and an ease of charging and a reliability of charging. That is something that people can count on. And you have to have access to that charge. And in places like a suburban environment in, in the U.S., access to charge is not that complicated. You know, folks can can typically get that installed in their garage for a very low price. But if you live in a high rise communal living setting in the middle of Shanghai, the likelihood of you having your own dedicated charging spot is very low, which means that the ecosystem has to be built out so that people can consistently have access to that. We're seeing around the world governments really committed to this. There's been meaningful investment, both public and private, to make that happen. But as people approach that charging, the ability to do it fast and reliable and safe continues to grow. Hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the other things to talk about when it comes to EVs is also connectivity, right? Connectivity becoming a bigger, bigger thing in the automotive space. So how are auto OEMs thinking about enabling robust vehicle to everything connectivity without compromising EV engine systems? And, and so how are they thinking through that process? You know, this is one of the really interesting places where partnership really helps an auto OEM because yeah. there's this interaction that occurs where the two things that have to happen in vehicles is that the data needs to flow through vehicles faster and faster and faster, and more and more power and electricity needs to flow through that vehicle simultaneously. And without turning this into an engineering discussion, those are not really two factors that love each other very much. So as mm. you have high voltage and high power flowing through a vehicle, it tends to create a good deal of RF interference. And that RF interference really degrades the robustness of those high-speed electrical signals that you have in the vehicle. And so this is pretty complex. And so the OEMs are really partnering with people like TE Connectivity to say, hey, help us understand how we architect a vehicle so that we can get both. Because it's not an either-or. When I talked earlier about you know, that future vision of fully autonomous vehicles, that are fully electrified, you know, that has to coexist. And even today, where while we may not have fully autonomous vehicles, we are seeing more and more advanced driver assist systems come into vehicles. And those advanced driver systems every single year are requiring us to have faster and faster data rates and lower and lower latency. Mm. Now, when you start to talk about vehicle to everything communication, that's when you can really start to talk about cloud-enabled vehicle services, where the vehicle is able to, in real time, understand what's happening with the vehicles around it, understand what's happening with the ecosystem around it. So if you're driving through a city, you can understand where the emergency services are and, and how things are happening. So if there's an accident, the vehicle can navigate through traffic. It can change stoplights you know, and allow that emergency vehicle move through the city. It can make sure that the elevator in the building that the ambulance is showing up to is at the right floor and waiting for the EMTs to get there. It can go there once they're there and, they, you know, and it guides the path back. That's an extreme example, but just the ability for vehicles to be able to communicate more broadly with the ecosystem around them will allow autonomous and advanced driver systems to be much more robust and much safer and give them a much greater level of functionality. And ultimately, you know, that's what's going to happen. Now, as we solve those problems, there's a whole bunch of easier problems to solve about, hey, okay, if I don't have to drive the vehicle myself, how do I turn the vehicle into a connected and productive space for me as an individual? That tends to be a much easier problem to solve than the one that says, hey, I want to leverage vehicle to cloud communications to make real-time decisions about how a vehicle is going to respond to a situation that's occurring today. And so it's really important that we understand that relationship between high speed and high voltage. And it's 
really important that the OEMs know that they they have partners that they can trust as they build that out because they have so many other technical problems to solve. I oftentimes like to talk about the connectivity of the vehicle being the central nervous system. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter how good a brain they develop. If the central nervous system doesn't work, the signals can't get to where they need to for the right things to happen. And so that's really our responsibility is to make sure that we continue to develop that capability within the central nervous system that can keep up with the ever-evolving brain that the OEMs are driving. That's that's really, really interesting. You know, and, and you talked there just about the value that TE can provide. You know, how else can, can TE partner with OEMs to help overcome some of the challenges that you laid out earlier in the conversation? You know, it's interesting. I think if, if you think about TE, we sit in a very privileged position. Our customers trust us to work with them on every production vehicle in the world. And so we're fortunate enough to be able to be having advanced development conversations with customers in every region of the world. And we have a good idea of what vehicles are going to look like five or seven years from now. And we're solving those problems well ahead of time. And so as an OEM may address or confront a problem for the very first time, it's highly likely it's not the first time that we've seen the problem. And so we can come in, we can work with their teams early in the design process. We can help them to understand, hey, this application, here are the factors that you don't fully understand because it's the first time you're seeing it. In the OEM world, that's that's a really new muscle for them to build because it's been a fairly consistent and steady trajectory of, of technology evolution within the automotive industry. And it's been pretty linear and pretty predictable. And so the teams and the processes that they have for innovation were suited for that. Now we see this very nonlinear you know, level of, of innovation and disruption, and it feels very nonlinear to the OEM. It's actually quite linear to us because we're, we have the ability to see how that's evolving over time in different innovation centers. And it gives us the perspective to, be, to really help the OEM to understand what questions maybe they should be asking that they don't fully anticipate and then help them with the answers to those questions in a way that really accelerates their pace of innovation. There's that piece of it. And then there's also a, another dimension, which is we help these customers scale. So if you're an, an emerging OEM, you're a new player in the space, typically you're not going to have a customized solution you know, made specifically for you at that stage. But TE has a portfolio of standard solutions that are building blocks that help you when you're in that prototype stage, when you're in that early production stage. And even as you migrate into kind of the first couple, three years of production, we have off-the-shelf solutions that we can work with you to, to bring. And then over time, as volumes build, we're there as a, as a technology partner to say, okay, here's how we can optimize this solution around the way your vehicle has evolved. And we're their, their partner there from you know, kind of the very beginning, blank sheet of paper before they build their very first vehicle, all the way through the evolution where they're on iteration number five or iteration number six, and they want to really drive the optimal performance. We're there with them every step of the way, which is incredibly valuable because it allows them to focus on the rest of the vehicle, which is, which is a lot. It's, it, it's not trivial, you know, the tasks that they're undertaking for sure. Absolutely. No, that you're 100% right about that. Now, Steve, I'm going to ask you to pull out your crystal ball here or put on your prognosticator's hat. How likely do you think that it is that we will see public preference shift from internal combustion engines over to EVs over the next five to 10 years? How likely do you think that shift is? And, and what factors do you think play into uh, that shift? You know, this is, this is really where the regional story comes in. If you mm-hmm. ask me about a place like China, it's already done. The race is over. You know, this is a matter of building out capacity 
you know, so that the transition can continue. But the preference is strong, strong, strongly in favor of EVs. In Europe, we're seeing that preference shift very quickly, and it's shifting for a couple of reasons. First is there are meaningful carrots and sticks that are in place. And so for the OEMs, there is a significant benefit for them to increase the percentage of the vehicles that they sell their EV. And there's significant cost for not doing that with respect to regulatory penalties. But also you have an enthusiasm about sustainability and an enthusiasm about addressing you know, some of the challenges we face as, as a species you know, around the climate. I mean, that enthusiasm is a bit stronger in Europe than, than it is in, in the US. There's a little bit less debate around you know, some of the, the impacts in driving it. And from a government perspective, if you look at the, pow the power of some of the political parties that have this at the top of their agenda, the level of power they have is quite disproportionate to the power that they have in the US. So we're seeing in Europe both a regulatory and a consumer trend that says we really value sustainability and we're willing to pay for it and we're willing to invest in it. That's starting to happen in the US. I will say, you know, the the geography of the US is a little bit different than the geography of most places in the world. You know, the US is one of the few places in the world where somebody on the East Coast would say, you know, I would really love to see the national parks in Utah and I'm going to drive there. That that kind of load cycle is one that is is not typical elsewhere in the world where people are talking about literally driving thousands of miles, you know, in, in a single trip. And so people will start to understand what that really looks like, the reality of charging infrastructure, supercharging infrastructure, and what that looks like. And I think once people get over the fear of that, then then it'll be well accepted. So I'm convinced, but I what I will tell you is I actually believe that the shape of the acceptance curve of EVs and the deployment curve of EVs over the next five years will be more driven by the industry's ability to meet demand than by the actual demand itself. I think that the, the, the industry won't be able to keep up with the rate and pace of transition. We're already seeing that in markets like China and Europe. So Steve, as you look into your crystal ball, as you look forward, I'm gonna ask you to do a little prognosticating here. What do we expect to see more of in the future, especially around technology integrations and engineering partnerships? I think what, what you can expect to see is a continued acceleration in the evolution of functionality within vehicles, not only electrical and battery performance, but also just the broader functionality of the vehicles. So advanced driver assistance, safety systems within vehicles will continue to evolve more rapidly. Many vehicle manufacturers are going to be able to provide over the air software updates. And so your vehicle will evolve after you purchase your, ve your vehicle. And so as new capabilities come on, particularly in, in the infotainment space. You'll have a different vehicle a year and a half after you purchase it than the day you purchase it, which is new for, for most folks. Most folks buy a car and that car really doesn't change. Occasionally, there'll be a firmware update when they bring their vehicle in if there's a recall or something along those lines. But, but what we're seeing are, are vehicles that will evolve over time and continue to gain functionality. But at the same time, the rate and pace of the technology evolution is going to create a bigger difference between a car that's three or four years old and a new car than what we see today. Five years from now, that gap will be even larger just because of the rate and pace. And so we expect to see that advanced driver functionality is going to be there. You'll see more range, you'll see faster charging, you'll see lower battery costs, and you'll see a much broader adoption. And so if you think about the number of production EVs that are available today that you literally have access to because most of them have you know pretty long long waiting lists 
and you think about the number of models, it's going to be more than fivefold what it is today. And so the choices that folks will have will continue to expand, which means that the competition will continue to expand, which means that the rate and pace of innovation has to accelerate in order for people to stay competitive in that space, which is exciting. Excellent stuff. Well, that is Steve Mert. He's the president of Transportation Solutions at TE Connectivity. Steve, thanks so much for joining us here on this episode of Connected World and sharing your insights and expertise. Yeah, thank you very much, Tyler. Really appreciate our conversation. Excellent stuff. And everyone, thank you for tuning into another episode of Connected World, a podcast from TE Connectivity. Make sure to subscribe to stay up to date with the latest from the podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And of course, you can always go to te.com for the latest from TE Connectivity. And stay tuned. We'll be back soon with new episodes of the show. But for this one, for my guest today, Steve Merck, I've been your host, Tyler Kern. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for tuning into our conversation. You can learn more about the solutions we discussed today by visiting te.com, where you can connect with our engineer support teams and sign up for Circuit, our monthly trends newsletter featuring a selection of articles on tech innovation written by engineers for engineers. To find out more, follow us on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Podcasts, as well as LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, think big, move fast, and make every connection count.